Wow. Hello, Anthony Mosley. Hey, Carla. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Today's the third year anniversary of the insurrection of the Capitol on January 6th, 2021. As my um, theater uncle um, deemed it, Michael Shepard called it Clanuary 6. I like uh, what what you came up with. Honky uh, Kong. Honky Kong. Yes. <laughs> when they were climbing the gates. Wow. Well, we want to make sure that we don't forget about what happened three years ago. We cannot. We cannot. We cannot because we were in the situation we were in three years ago because a couple of hundred years ago, almost. Well, yeah, um, a, a bunch of folks let some stuff go. A little thing called the Civil War. And they dropped the ball on a little tiny thing called treason and uh, tried to placate people and didn't put folks in jail. And then the Confederacy and those that particular brand of racists ran amok and their ancestors showed up at the Capitol (laughs) January 6, 2001. So here we are with this show today. Welcome to Clapper Action Radio. We're at the intersection of art activism and social change. That was DJ Lady D with our opener. We're here on WCPT 820 AM, Chicago's Progressive Talk Radio, Saturdays at 4 p.m. Central Time, also live streaming on Facebook and WCPT.com, and then available via podcast, wherever you get those things. I'm Anthony Mosley. And I am Carla Stilwell. Yay. Of the South Side Stillwells. Uh, and yeah. we're here with Henry in the studio. Here we're up on North Milwaukee. Hi, Henry. Hello, hello. Hi, Henry. Carla's back. It's Carla, been so long, Carla. Give a short testimony about your tribulations. So, listen, all those times I almost choked on the air, um, I was actually like actively dying. Like, no, like for real. So, I have like this rare condition called um, severe aplastic anemia. And so, a red, uh, long story short, I didn't have any red blood cells. And so, I was losing oxygen the whole time. Whole time, I thought I was it was the flu, but it was not. It was pneumonia. It was that I needed a couple of blood transfusions. So, I've had those, and now I'm back. And my skin is skinning. I don't know you people on Facebook can't see... That I'm out here glowing, looking healthy and normal. Absolutely. And not choking. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. Yay. So I'm back. I'm so happy to be back in the studio. We're so happy to have you back. Absolutely. And um, we get into 2024 here um, with exciting times for collaboration. And we have a, an announcement pending. We've been teasing it for a while. Oh, God, it's so good. Papers so good. have been signed. Uh, you know, uh, uh, announcement plans are in the work. And probably two weeks from now, we're going to be able to talk about what's going down. But we will just say that um, we might have a new home. What? Yeah, it's been three years since we left the Flatiron Building in Wicker Park where we had three studios. And um, we might have a new home. So stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for announcements on auditions for young people to join the light. 
Stay tuned for a bunch of amazing guests that we've booked around the corner here. Folks like Tanika Lewis-Johnson and David Dismalchian and DJ Lady D herself will be coming in. So we got a lot going on and we got a lot to talk about today. We do have a lot to talk about today. Oh, one last plug. January 21st, I will be doing some art somewhere else, but kind of still with the family. Um, a show, my show, Tad in Fifth City, will be opening at Impacts um, at the Greenhouse Theater Center January 21st. So please make your way down to see the show I wrote and I'm directing because these actors are amazing. And we're going to have... Um, the poet that inspired that work here as well, Oran Kenyatta Marshall, um, in February. So that is dope. Um, look, today we have a guest. Our guests are... Um, so Anthony and I were like, how do we best um, uh, mark the January 6th, uh, uh, the insurrection? Because much like 9-11, I don't think we can ever forget. And I think we need to always take this day to commemorate, remember, um, reflect on the day we almost lost democracy for good so that we keep that at the forefront and we do not lose it again. So we were inviting folks. We invited some people in Chicago that we knew had been insurrectionists. And got out just in time before they got arrested. And then um, as we dug, we found these two amazing individuals um, uh, who will be joining us today. Uh, photographer Nate Gowdy um, will be with us and Terry Boughton. They were both there that day and um, have some deep reflections on the insurrection, what they saw, what they witnessed, the and the fact that we cannot keep calling this a picnic or uh, <laughs> we can't, like, keep talking about this as just, uh, it was just a little march, just a little march to Hampton. Yeah, we, we have people who were on the ground. Yes. With uh, camera and uh a brain attached to it. Nate Gowdy is a Seattle photographer of 13 years. He documents American, this American political era. And in 2023, his self-published debut monograph, Insurrection, the award-winning 150-page book visually chronicles with time-stamped images and contextual captions, the deadly mob attack on the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. Nate Gowdy, welcome to Collaboration Action Radio. Hey, gosh, Anthony! Thanks, thanks so much for uh, for having me. It's yeah, it's my it's my big uh, anniversary. Yeah, I bet, <laughs> I bet. Great to have you. I'm here with Carla Stillwell. Hello, Nate. How are you? Yeah, yeah. Nice, nice to uh, meet you too, Carla. I was just uh, last night re- refreshing myself on on your guys' work, and uh, I was just so impressed with uh, listening to a couple episodes, and uh, I learned a lot. <laughs> awesome. Well, we're so, thank you so much for joining us. And um, shout out Severio Truglia for connecting us. Tell us three years later, like, um, first, I guess, let's start with, like, your process of, of getting there. Um, what <clears throat> drove you and what was it like uh, as you prepared to, to head over there with your camera? Set the scene for us. Uh, I was, uh, you know, I was had been visiting my uh, 
my immediate, my dad, my sister and brother-in-law in Indiana over the holidays. I'm, I, I'm based in Seattle. And, and, you know, I had, it was our first holiday without my uh, mother who'd uh, passed of COVID and unexpectedly oh, and tragically. And, and I really didn't want to go to Washington, D.C. for this, you know, stop the steal or save America MAGA rally. And, but I had missed Charlottesville a few years before. Prior, because I had been, you know, I'd missed that part of the story because I'd been photographing a, a friend's beautiful wedding, and it and it hurt missing not being there, and, and that's how I, just how I'm wired, you know. I've been covering this since, uh, you know, uh, you know the political climate since 2015, and so anyway, so I, I it sounded like it could get weird, and they always are. And so I, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I, I travel was really cheap because the pandemic was still raging and there was no vaccine yet. So, but I found a, uh, I found cheap flights to Atlanta, Georgia. And I, I was, you know, I was there for a few days documenting the, uh, the Senate, the historic Senate runoffs. And then I, I jumped to DC and that morning I was just, I was beat. I was tired after days of running around and, and you know, and took a selfie in the mirror, and I looked disheveled. And so anyway, I was I was uh, running running behind. I was, I was getting going. I was a little slow that morning, and I I I was walking to the toward the Washington Monument on the National Mall when I uh, encountered a, a contingent of militiamen. And I originally, I mean, I, I immediately recognized them as, as proud boys because I'd photographed the, the guy, the man leading them, because uh, he was, he's from the Seattle area, um, uh, you know, um, from Auburn, Washington, uh, Ethan Nordeen. He had a bullhorn in his hands and was shouting out commands, and and they were chanting F-word Antifa uh, to a really sparsely documented, I mean, sparsely populated national mall. And and so I had a choice, you know, either I continue on toward the ellipse to uh, the former president's rally or I or I, you know, follow these guys. And and, it, you know, it didn't take long for it to get weirder. I uh, I photographed Proud Boys on, you know, occasions over the years and I found them to be, uh, you know, they like to bait people into confrontation, you know, physical confrontation and so I, I figured if I respected their space, they, they would respect mine, especially since I had a camera. And because and, they're aware of public optics. And, and well, that wasn't the case. Uh, it, exactly 10 minutes in, I was, I was attacked. Wow. I was lunged at. And, I, uh, and I, I was quick enough on my feet to back up. And, and you know, I yelled, at, you know, hey, I put my arms up and said, hey, I'm, I'm photojournalist for Rolling Stone. And and they started mocking me and make you know making fun of my voice and and uh, and then yelling that I was Antifa and and relaying my wherever I was in with regard to them they were people on the fringes of the contingent of about two hundred to three hundred people I estimate uh, in my you know my estimation um, they were relaying my coordinates and and by this point I had backed up <laughs> so they wouldn't get attacked again and. And kind of eventually, eventually, a few uh, other uh, members of the media kind of were in tow, and wow. so I felt a little, you know, safer again. But uh, I just followed them throughout the morning, and and you know they they posed for photos in front of the east front of, at the east front of the Capitol. 
you know, group photos. They, uh, uh, they, they kneeled and prayed. They, you know, funny part, uh, one, one moment I documented that I haven't seen any other photos of this part was when they all march, they're marching. I don't, still don't know where the day's going and it's coming on, uh, you know, about 12, 12 noon and they, they, uh, they, sorry, I just got a text from a friend who needs to be let in. Um, uh, uh, sorry, sorry, I got distracted. No so problem, they, no sorry. problem. You know, this is, you know your, your photographs are so intense. I mean, you know, the, the, the black and white and the contrast and the, the, the framing and the action and the, you know, it, it's scary. Like, what was the vibe like? You know, there's a certain vibe before a, a Bears game. There's a certain vibe before a Metallica concert. You know, there's a certain vibe before, um, you know, sure. soldiers go into war. What was the vibe like that morning? I mean, we get the yeah. feeling, but what was the vibe like? That's a, you know, that's a great question. So at this point, it, it alternated from uh, rabid and just, you know, chanting, uh, you know, 1776 and fight for Trump and stuff of that nature. But but at this point in my story, we are, you know, they're marching. I don't know where they're going. And we, we end up at second and Constitution at a bunch of food trucks. And the, the vibe is really chill. The insurrection hasn't happened yet. And they're, in all of a sudden, I'm standing in line for hot dogs with armed insurgents. And it was really bizarre and, you know, just kind of got a picture of this guy with, you know, with a pile of hot dogs. And it was really chill. And they were streaming President Trump and mingling and, and just, very, you know, just easygoing. And, but then uh, as, as, you know. The calm before the about, storm. This is the calm before the storm. Yeah. And then about uh, <clears throat> after 40 minutes of lunch, they all got in formation again. And the mood quickly, immediately turned very, very serious and solemn, and they were marching, and I'm, I'm up there with the leaders, Joey Gibson, Ethan Nordine, Zachary Rail, and, and um, who have all been, you know, charged and convicted of a seditious conspiracy, and since, and, but basically we're marching, and, and they marched to the, well, I'm, I say we, <laughs> I wasn't one of them, but I was in tow, and um, we, we, <laughs> excuse me, they, uh, they arrived at the peace monument at the northwest approach of the capitol and, and and you know when I watch later and i when i 'm watching New York Times documentary day of rage I, I notice that i 'm standing right next to a man who uh, it turns out was the first to approach the police officers the five police officers at the barricade and and you know and the crowd swarmed them and it happened so suddenly i I wasn't even facing the Capitol. I was just in awe of the sea of people that had followed these militants and left. Trump was still speaking at this point. He was still speaking for another 20 minutes. And, and, but they'd left his speech and were following along with these militants. And, and it, it was like a pep rally gone, you know, all this toxic masculinity and white supremacy gone uh, totally, you know, talk, I mean, totally off the charts. Like I've, and and then, you know, they're rushing and they're, you know, they cross the, the lot, you know, they, they storm the bar- the bicycle rack metal barricades. They topple those over. They attack the police. A woman was not a police officer was knocked out. Um, and I was attacked. I was pushed off a three foot balustrade at the base mm-hmm. of some stairs. 
and and luckily I'm I'm good I'm a good baller and so I was okay and but even some of the Trump supporters who were caught up in all this were concerned for my safety and and because I wasn't wearing press credentials uh which I don't think would have been safe because I, I actually saw later I saw an AP photographer get pushed off a five foot retaining wall by four assailants and I thought I would be next and but luckily um, you know I was I othered myself by wearing a uh, N95 mask and having cameras on on my person but but uh, but you know I'm a white guy and I was wearing a maroon hoodie and a, a, a tan Carhartt beanie and. And so they couldn't be 100% certain that I wasn't on their team, that I wasn't one of them. Wow. And so that, you know, so but I, I could feel the glares all around me. You, you know, and my trick is, is just never make eye contact because if I, once I do, they can see it in my eyes that I'm afraid, you know, and, and uh, so just kind of play along. And, and, and most of my photos, 124 photos of my book were taken – uh, wide, with a wide, fixed wide lens, because um, funny enough, I was I, I didn't come equipped. I hadn't been to Indiana on vacation with all my gear, so I was borrowing a long lens and camera from a friend. But he had all these presets that uh, that I couldn't, you know, I, I, I couldn't autofocus like normal. And, and uh, I reset the camera, and then it disappeared, the autofocus completely. We figured it out later. but So I was stuck uh, shooting wide, and which I think really – transports the viewers the images there you know it, it, on the ground and and uh it was uh oh i, I lost my train of thought <laughs> nate <laughs> yeah let me let me jump in and ask i, I have a question sure. because i'm interested yeah. in what people were saying and you said at some point they started praying what was that prayer yeah. it was well i i, I don't Did you remember catch the any word of that I wish I, you know, I meant to have a GoPro on me that day, but I forgot the card, and so I, I don't have any live footage. But I, uh, but I, uh, they, it was very. It, it, it struck me as, you know, pre-war pr- prayer, which is, was really, really frightening that they were doing this, you know, in the name of their, uh, you know, their their God uh, that they believed in, and so it was really it's probably one of the most frightening parts to me. They really, truly believed in what they were doing and what Trump had told them to, you know. Yeah. And would, would you, do you ever think about the fact that some of those insurrectionists that maybe you brushed shoulders with on that day or saw them praying are now sitting in a cell and reflecting on what happened three years ago? Like, what are your thoughts about them today and where they're at and and do you have sympathy for them or anger no no um you, uh, you know good question no one's ever asked that um they you know i know for a fact that my pictures of my the people who assaulted me individuals who assaulted me they still haven't been caught because they were wearing a mask to conceal their identity and my images of them are still on the F- are the FBI most wanted images. I've had the FBI come to my office. They were in touch within days, and and I happily uh, uh, gave them my uh, my images. It was real funny because you see in the movies how they always flip out their uh, their wallet to show their badge, and these you know these guys uh, the wallet the badge fell out of their wallet onto the ground, and then they get up to upload my photos, and uh, and the and the and their their hard drive wasn't formatted for Mac, and it's just so ridiculous. so ridiculous. And, uh, um, you know, this is the so-called deep state. Uh, 
Um, but floppy back to your disks. question, floppy disks. <laughs> but you know, but back to your question, I, I, yeah, I want people to be held accountable, and my, and my images from that day were were actually submitted as evidence in the Colorado Trump trial. Um, you know, to prove as proof of insurrection. Um, you know, they they went from peaceful pro when they crossed those by crack barriers, they uh, they crossed the you know a hard line. They became, you know, they went from peacefully protesting, demonstrating to, to you know, rioters and insurrectionists. I want to um, jump in and remind our listeners that you can call in today at um, 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT, because this is some... Phenom- like this is other world conversation. We all watched that day. I was in my living room like, what? So to have somebody to answer some questions that was there would be, I know, interesting <coughs> to me if I weren't in the studio. So um, please, 773-763-WCPT, if you want to jump into this conversation. And, and, and if you want to see Nate's photography, you can go to nategowdy.com. That's N-A-T-E-G-O-W-D-Y dot com. You can order his book. You know, it might be a good gift for for somebody who uh, wants to not forget what happened Nate, on January 6th. Was this was there ever any doubt in your mind that this was planned? You know, oh, it, it, yeah, great question. Um this was a lot of people got swept up in it, but it was absolutely planned. The, the Proud Boys were 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 incognitos. Usually, they wear their colors, which are these uh, Fred Perry uh, black and yellow polos. But none of them were wearing. They were not wearing Proud Boys anything, which they usually do. They're very flamboyant. Um, and in this case, they were all incognito. A lot of them wearing flat jackets and such. Uh, a lot of you know things, like, you know, bear mace and, and stuff and you know, in, in the wide open and, and, but they, uh, they all, they, a lot of them had neon orange caps and that was to, that was to identify one another. And, and in every, I believe there were eight breaches of the interior of the Capitol that day. It has been found that the proud boys were involved in every one of those breaches. And so I, yeah, I firmly believe this was absolutely planned. Were there actual gallows on the front lawn of the Capitol? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so see, I, I believe that was John Minichello's uh, photograph uh, of the gallows out there. Uh, I didn't. I didn't actually see it myself, but I've seen the image. They were tanning when Trump when Trump uh, tweeted that Mike Pence had let let you know the country down around two twenty four. So. Um, you know, I have a photo of them that I'm surrounded by people at the inauguration day stage, uh, raising, pumping their fists, chanting, hang Mike Pence. Hmm. Wow. Scary day. Um, Nate, thank you so much for joining us. Once again, uh, you can go to nategowdy.com to see more of his work. What's, what's up? What's next for you, Nate? Uh, <laughs> Well, it should be a should be another uh, unfortunately weird year. You know, I would have I would have loved for uh, to you know to be making. Uh, I started my career photographing uh, 
Seattle's queer and trans uh, uh, communities, uh, the nightlife and the marriage equality movement. And it was such a joyous, historic time. And and now I'm, you know, I go to these, uh, these, you know, these MAGA rallies. And, and these. at first I was trying to find humanity in these people to help maybe bridge the divide and understand them. But every one I've been to, um, you know, I've been to roughly 75 official MAGA and MAGA adjacent demonst- events and demonstrations. And everyone I go to, they're, 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 you know, their humanity's uh, lost on me a little more each time. Um, I mean, they're so far gone, and so I'm I'm gonna be I, I'm gonna be out on the campaign trail as much as I can. I'm headed to Iowa next week for the caucuses, um, and right now I'm I'm looking, you know, I'm going backwards and curating uh, eight years of, of images that have never been seen before. Uh, you can go to my website nategowdy.com uh, and go to the the series uh, the Rabbit Americans to see what I have up so far, and I've been updating it daily. and And the book's for sale there. It's it's literally the only the only book of photojournalism that visually chronicles that day, the events of that tragic, horrible day. Wow. And, uh, and so I'm, you know, it was my attempt to, uh, I, you know, my, my bread and butter as a photographer in Seattle is to make people look good at, uh, at events and, 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 you know, and headshots and portraits and, yeah. and stuff. And, and, uh, and so, and the photojournalism documentary work really doesn't pay. I, I can't make a living doing it. So this book was my attempt to uh, uh, monetize the work so I, that I can, you know, just just be out there as much as possible and continue doing it. How's that, is that, how's that work for you? Oh, well, I self-published the book. I've sold 1,200 copies, and, and it was my livelihood in 2022. It sustained work on the book. Unfortunately, awesome. I printed more copies than I've sold. Uh, so I still have a lot of books, but fortunately, uh, for, you know, for example, uh, Mother Jones did an interview with me last year and, oh, nice. and just uh, reminded their readership and, 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 you know, and followers uh, of, of that interview. And I've been getting, uh, you know, book uh, orders have been rolling in today and it just shows the power of just the proper exposure. I would, you know, I wish I, I, I this book deserves to be on, on uh, bookstores, but the nature of publishing, uh, you know, it's, 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 is in shambles, in my opinion. And, and so uh, as a self-publisher, it just kind of, uh, I've learned the publishing part. Now it's kind of figuring out the promotion part. Wow. So which I think as artists and, and creatives, we're all kind of always kind of navigating. You, you, I'm sure you're, you know, you're very uh, familiar yeah, don't with get, don't, <laughs> totally don't, don't get us started. And, you know, audience design, if you chase the right stuff, the stuff that people want intuitively and subconsciously to see and hear and illuminate, you'll do okay. I think you're doing that. You just got to keep keep doing it. You're taking great shots in very important Mm -hmm. and difficult situations. Final question here. How do you unload all this toxicity and trauma um, you know, you're going, you like to make people look good. You even said you started off by wanting to show the humanity. You're immersing yourself in these populations. Like your, your brain may know what's going on, but your body over time is going to carry that trauma. How do you um, find some time to release this, um, you know this really difficult material? Yeah, I've been I've been adamant, and and I've reiterated, you know, over the last few years now. I guess yeah, it's been three years um, that uh, you know I don't I don't feel like I have trauma from that day. Mm-hmm. 
uh, I know a lot of photojournalists and a lot of people who absolutely do. And, and the friends and colleagues of mine, brave photojournalists and, and staffers from the Capitol are at the Capitol, you know, and, and, uh, you know, uh, BIPOC staffers particularly. And, um, so I, I like that, you know, I've been saying I don't have trauma, but maybe I should have been kind of, uh, uh, you know, maybe, you know, maybe, uh, you know, sometimes trauma takes a while to, yeah. to realize. I'm thinking more of the 80, the 80 events, not just the one. You know, the sustained right. immersion oh, in a yeah. toxic well, environment, you know. You, 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 well, I, Trey, I, I, I think, all of us, are, let's all take a moment and send some squiggly wiggly good vibes over to Nate right now. Do you feel them, my brother? Do you feel and them? And hopefully we'll see you here in Chicago for the Democratic Convention. Oh, absolutely. I will be. So we will, we will put our positive collab vibes all over you. Yeah, we'll and give you a theatrical, uh, political <laughs> statement to, uh, to 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 photograph. Nate, thank you for joining us. Have a great one, and we look forward to connecting down the road. Thank you. That was Nate Gowdy, photographer. That was cool. That was crazy because there are things that happened that I saw when I was watching the 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 coverage, the live coverage that I had decided in my mind didn't really happen. Like, I know my father was a carpenter, right? So I know what it takes to make a gallow, like to make this device that can hold and hang a 150, 200 pound human body. So I'm like, how did they get it there? Did they assemble it? Did they dis- disassemble it and then bring it and put it back? Like, how did this happen? And I had decided that nothing that horrific and medieval actually happened. What? They had they had some uh, <laughs> they had some drill guns. Like, bruh, what is scenic? Where they, where, had, where, they had carpenters <laughs> on site. Like, where is your hate stored that this was something that you thought was okay? How about the prayer? That's what I want to you know. know. It made me what were they the, praying about? It made me think about um, after a football game, you know, like, <gasps> yeah. you know, or, but this was before, before war, you know? Right. And some of them are in jail right now. And that was the moment that they put their life trajectory on the line. For who? But, and that's the thing. This is one of the things I want to make a point before we move on. We have to stop putting this in the context of Trump remaining in office. Donald Trump is the biggest afterthought in the whole history of the world. He is not the point. There, He did not create this world. He did not create these people. His existence gave permission for these people to be who they were. This is this this is America. He t- he identified and well he he as a marketing genius that he is. Well, and the people he had with him, they knew who his audience was. They knew who was not being heard. They tapped into a a, a thread that had been rung when Obama got elected. They tapped into a racist thread and rung that and they played that chord. And that's what has happened. It is not about the man. It, well, it's the it's the dark matter of peace, equity, love and understanding. It's the yin to that yang. It's the invisible fear 
that um, the power and hierarchy of skin color will be... Uh, it. As, as a black person, I'm going to say this differently. It is the fear that you will re, you will truly get what you deserve. It is the fear that black and brown people will do to you what you have done to them for thousands of years. That's the fear. It's, it's, they're playing offense hard, that there's a population of people that understand that everything that was done was inequitable. All of these things were vile and violent and vicious. And, there, and, it's, and there's this idea that black folks and, and other folks of color want retribution. No, we just want equality and justice. <laughs> so let us bring on our next guest, Terry Boughton is an associate producer of history at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. He writes about democracy and the American Revolution, and his joint and was at um, Honky Kong <laughs> on January 6, 2021, and has joined us. Hi, Terry. Hi, how are you doing? Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Welcome to the show, Terry. Thank you for joining. Thank you. So, Terry, um, just quickly, how did you get there that day? Why, why, why were you um, on the ground? So I was there with my wife, accompanying my wife, who was, she had COVID. She was doing a documentary film project uh, in India that, for, a, for a thesis project that got blown up by COVID. We were actually in India and uh, when everything shut down and then had to fly back and the project got scrapped and she spent was looking for another project to replace it um, and figured she was interested in, in women and uh, uh, women on the, on the far right. And uh, and so we were there so she could take pictures of the Stop the Steal protest. Um, I, I actually didn't want to go because I had been following social media and knew about the threats of violence from the Proud Boys and Three Percenters and thought it was going to be dangerous. Uh, and she's like, no, it's like Fortress D.C. We had been to every protest uh, like of the Trump era, starting with the Women's March and the Science March and the Climate March and all the rest. And they had been, they had been a significant police presence at all of these. And she's like, well, with threats of violence, of course they're going to be like out in force. Um, and so I was, you know, I relented. We got a late start on that day, went and showed up right around we got to the union station parking garage right about the time um that they 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 had breached through like the bike racks by the time we got to the we walked along uh the supreme court side so we were on the east side the east front as they call it of the capitol not the west front which is the part facing the mall where all of the the, the most serious violence was so we came we got there at a, like like the police kiosk just as they had breached in the building itself um, and so by the time we got around, we did a wide sweep around the, the East front and, uh, and saw like the crowds up on the stairs, like people up on the stairs. And we hadn't, we didn't at that point in time, had no idea, uh, how serious it was on, on the other side. Uh, and with DC, with so many people in DC, if you've ever been to any of the big protests or, or when there's like you know, hundreds of thousands of people in DC, you can't, uh, you can't, your cell phones are not, you're not going to get cell reception. So we couldn't, we weren't getting texts. You couldn't check your, you know, you couldn't check the internet to see what was going on. Um, and so we were just, we just 
were there and then increasingly got a sense about how serious it was and that, you know, something really, really bad was happening. Uh, was there was there a moment when when you said, oh, this is do you remember when you realized that you were in the midst of a horrific historic event? Yeah, I think um, I think the the real I mean, I mean, seeing it all there, but the real moment was when um, Ashley Babbitt was shot, and someone mm. burst out through the the back of the uh, one of the doors of, of the back of I think it was on the, the house side of the um, of the Capitol of the of the back of the, the east front balcony uh, at the top of the stairs and shouted, "They shot a girl." Um, and that's when things got really dark because the, the crowd immediately who had been doing things like, you know, singing the pledge of allegiance, <laughs> like, or, you know, the star spangled banner and there, and then, uh, singing religious songs had then gone through and, and were, uh, and then turned on the police. Like there was prior to that, they had been walking. We had seen Capitol police and Metro police around and even some FBI uh, who eventually showed up once Ashley Babbitt was shot to, to accompany the ambulance uh, uh, and EMT workers to get her out. Um, they went in with her to get her out. That was the only FBI presence we saw uh, the entire time we were there. Uh, other than that, it was Capitol Police, Metro Police, who were clearly in over their heads. Like, they were just, like, mystified and worried uh, about about what was going on, the people we the people we spoke to, the police officers we spoke to, um, but we but they were there. They were saying them, you know, prior to that they were saying like we had your back last summer, which was the George Floyd summer, right, mm-hmm. uh, of 2020, mm-hmm. uh, and they were saying we had your back last summer. You have our backs now, um, and it was it was it was an order. It was not like a negotiation. It was not a suggestion. Um, they were the expectation there was that law enforcement was going to join with them, you know, like they were going to back the blue and the blue was going to back them. Um, and that changed once actually Babbitt was shot. And then you saw like there was one proud boy who was on top of the stairs who ended up he had a like that thin blue line flag, you know, the, the mm-hmm. one with the blue stripes in the middle. And he started shredding it um, and then like throwing the shredded pieces over the side of the don't you flutter down over the the crowd and you know over the police and then they started shouting traitor and um cowards and the rest saying you better join us um and i was there when they wheeled out ashley babbitt's body i was like 10 feet away like wow. saw it directly in her eyes like she was gone she was they were working on her pumping her chest but her eyes were open and glassy and staring off um and right after she passed, they, the crowd, like, that's when things got really, that's when we were like, we're getting the hell out of here. Uh, because uh, the crowd started shouting at the police, calling them cowards and traitors and saying, F the blue, um, like, just, like shouting obscenities at the police. Um, and uh, one guy, my, my wife had her phone out, and one guy looked right into the camera uh, and just said, F the blue, they're the uh, strong arm of the government, they're here to take your guns and put your kids into concentration camps. Um, you know, F the blue. They are not our friends. Uh, and that, and that was sort of the sentiment around, like it got, it started to get really, really frightening. Um, and, uh, you know, and I was just part of the whole 
frightening package that was there. Because once it was clear that violence was going on, and we walked around the whole building at that point, we left the east front and started to walk around the building. But but we saw like like the casual ways people were talking about violence, and these are people who look like if you're white, these are people who look like your aunt and uncle. Like we were middle aged white folks and fit right in. Like we weren't worried. I mean, we were more worried because we were wearing masks than than anything else about being spotted or being identified. But but no. But there were enough people. Who, you know, there were enough older people or middle aged people who were wearing masks who were part of the protest, the crowd. Uh, probably for medical reasons or whatever, were were that we didn't stand out that much. Um, but it was it was it was pretty it was pretty alarming the way that these people, ordinary looking white folks, were talking about um, about violence, they, about they hanging. Were, they were about, wound up. They were wound up. Terry, I, I, you said something that I have never heard in any, and you know, my part of my nerddom has had me scouring the Internet for three years, listening to stories and accounts. And the fact that this this idea that people were saying, we had your back during the Floyd yeah. stuff, like to the police, and that was the turning point between the, you know, Blue Lives Matter. Because I was always wondering when that, sh- when that ended. So for you, you saw a distinct moment— in history, where it was that was oh, yeah. and I, don't, I don't know, you know, yeah. I mean, for them, for them, that was the moment that they were expecting the Capitol Police to be on their side. And when that, and when they didn't flip, they be and and then somebody was killed. Uh, that was that's you know, there was a decided shift in the in the tone. Um, of, of what had been going on, but, but reality, I, think, I mean, I think that, reality. Yeah. It sounds like it sounds like from like them singing. You know, everybody through their own eyes is the hero of their own story, and this right. oh, yeah, group absolutely. of delusional yeah. folks were so wound up, kind of like PizzaGate. <laughs> they saw themselves as the hero of a new American revolution. Oh, and, that's it. Yeah, my uh, our seventeen seventy six. Like you could yeah. hear that. Over and over. This is our 1776, our American Revolution. And, and Absolutely. they fully expected the police, when push came to shove, to have their yeah. back and help them overturn the election and, and, and uh, you know, collect, not steal, but um, get back. The election. Yeah, no, they they were the they're the patriots. They were all imagining themselves as the patriots and the heroes of the story. You know, like when we first showed up, this woman, my 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 wife and I were walking, and the woman starts like, "Oh, don't go that way, hon. They're gassing the patriots." <laughs> and we yeah. like, "Patriots?" Like, I was like, "Don't don't mess. With, we're not messing with the delusion today. You know, we're not." Um, it, it, yeah, and it was it was pretty alarming. And I heard earlier talking about that gallows. Like that gallows was built to be used. Yeah, and the people there, it, like they, they would have cheered. Like I, I can, they would have cheered. And it was like a lynch mob. Like historically, like like I, I'm an historian, and and you know use pictures of lynchings in my teaching to show still like the festive atmosphere. Like yeah. you know you pack a picnic and go watch the bodies swing. Right. And that was you know that was it was that same kind of like. Like like maniacal festive uh, feeling in the air. Like it was like this this bizarre demented. You know, 
evil carnival uh, oh feeling God. to it. Uh, a PTSD therapist that I've been um, uh, become friends with um, calls lynch mobs an orgy of the ego. And it, that's what it's, this, this sounds to me like it was, you know, um, inflated and, and refracted egos conjoined and blown out of control. Yeah, but my, yeah. my, my fear is that, is, is that the blown out of control part misses the extent to which yes. this wasn't just swept up in the moment it and was wasn't planned. just. Like these, these, like also to almost to a person, like of the people that we spoke to, and we spoke to a lot of people and did a lot of like kind of eavesdropping on conversations. And there was a sense of like, this is the beginning. Like there was a lot of excitement about it. Like mm-hmm. that this, this is, this was just the beginning. And you can see this, like my wife is actually writing a book about uh, 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 several women that she's been following for the last three years who were arrested for J6. And, uh, and she's, those things that she's found is that like, like there's, there's very little repentance among any of these folks. Like there's very little sense of remorse or uh, instead you get just the opposite that for these people, regardless of what the consequences have been, whether they've been in jail, whether they have lost jobs, uh, in some cases lost houses um, because they lost jobs and then couldn't pay their mortgage or they just sort of went, decided to go, you know, totally radicalize and go off the grid. There's a, there, J6 has become an identity for them. Um, it, it has become a community. It has become a, uh, uh, and that's why it's so difficult to dislodge, and that's why it's been growing, is that these people are in these self-radicalizing, mostly online communities, where they are uh, going further down the rabbit hole, where, where they have invented their own truths, where many of them are going even further. Like, the ones that were in QAnon are now in the realms of conspirituality where they're like, believe that they have alien DNA and that a great awakening, like a big ascension is about to happen. Like basically different, different kinds of versions, like a new age version of the apocalyptic end of days is coming. Um, where only certain number of people are going to like survive. Right. You know, the rest of us are doomed. Uh, It's, it's really frightening where we're at. And, and that, I don't think we appreciate how normalized that has become on on the right, and how much of the right has become uh, is is in that space, um, and that's the and that's the real danger. And then how many people we you know how the I just don't think folks are aware of how deep and serious this crisis is, and and you know like my if I could say anything to, to your listeners who are, you know, wavering or upset about Biden and what's going on in Gaza or, uh, you know, you know, he didn't pass student loans and the rest of it, you know, like, like loan relief, like, like this is not the time. (laughs) This is, this is not, these folks are serious and they're, and they're coming for blood. Like they're going to, like, this is bound up with Christian nationalism and all kinds of other, other things. Uh, you know, this is race, this is culture, this is, Against not just not just the black civil rights movement, but all of the civil rights movements right. of the of the 1960s and 70s, the women's movement, uh, 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 LGBTQ plus. It's it's against 
like it is it, it, uh, even cultural values. Uh, it's 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 all of that. It's the whole package that is hey, in Terry, this weird. I don't trade I, show carnival of people. Yeah. I don't want to inter- I don't I I don't want to interrupt you. I wish we could talk forever. We do have a caller. Somebody wants to jump into this conversation. So let's bring that person up. Hello. Hi. Hi, I, my name is Judy. I just took out a Christmas tree, and I hit the deck here for a while because we're tired, and I turned on the radio. And when you were talking about the mob, I'm in my 80s, and I went to Catholic school as a child. And when they're teaching you about sin and how to avoid sin and, like, you know, don't hang around with, with that kind of a a group because, you know, that's an occasion of sin. They might make you do things. And one of the things they mentioned was a mob. They said, don't join a mob because it can, you, you kind of lose your own sense of being and duty. And when you are with a mob, there's something attractive about it, something that can pull you in. Therefore, they labeled it, you know, going along with the mob being an occasion of sin. I haven't even thought of that phrase for a hundred years. So when you were talking about it, it all came back, and I thought, oh, my goodness. There's that old theory of, if, you know, there's something about the chanting and the and the marching along and the... That, it's, that it, can actually pull you. It's the energy, you know. If you put a hundred people in a yeah. house, you don't even need to turn on the heat. The, yeah, the energy the is energy. toxic. So. And, and, and in these days, when people are isolated, they're on their phones, they're in computers, they're they're alone with their device, and they're connected to hundreds and thousands of people. And all of a sudden, they <laughs> well, all show up. Me out. I am not on the devices. <laughs> I I don't know how to use uh-huh. them. In a, I mean, I'm a mess on them. I'm terrible. Well, you did a good <laughs> job finding us today. Congratulations, and thank you for calling in. I I called. I talked to Patty a lot, and I, I had a, had the channel on. And like I said, we were digging down the tree, and it's it's a tiresome job. Oh, it is. You got to do <laughs> so, just do it in stages. You know, you don't have to do it all at once because you got to put everything away properly. And sometimes, well, yeah, you, that's it. You're taking them off and you're putting them back in boxes or wrapping them up. And it just, uh, well, it's we, not hey, the excitement of getting it up. Well, we, we're glad we could create a miniature mob here uh, to give you a little <laughs> respite. Thank you for yes, call, you. for calling in. Do we have another caller? Did I see another one? I think, no, that caller dropped. Terry, I have one last thing. We only have a few more moments um, oh. with you, and thank you again so much. I wish we could talk to you and Nate for, like, another two hours. But um, one thing that I would—I personally believe we wouldn't be here if we— had hand if the if the country had handled um, the Civil War and the Confederacy correctly, um, and you talk about um, how deep these run as a historian, it, do you feel like there is a parallel in the Confederate in what happened after Reconstruction then, and that those and then you know instead of those people being punished with no accountability, they're they're all running around and then their kids are building statues and and you know it's the Knights of Columbus everything and the rise of the Klan. Do you see a parallel in that part of history to what we're going through now? I mean, I think it's part of the same story, right? It's a right. continuation of the same story. That there are moments in this story 
you know, of a, of a long, I mean, in this case, that case, a long black civil rights struggle mm-hmm. away from slavery towards citizenship and a meaningful citizenship and, and participation in democracy, that sort of every time there are substantial gains for black Americans, there has always been a backlash, like a really powerful backlash. Um, and, you know, we saw that not just with the Civil War and Reconstruction. It was a long period where there were troops in the South and mm-hmm. black people were allowed to vote and black men were allowed to vote. And there were, um, you know, whole legislatures that were uh, that, that had a strong black presence, if not a black majority. Um, and then without, you know, when when white northerners got tired of protecting black civil rights in the South uh, and and. You know, northern white racism reared its reared its head again. Mm-hmm. Um, that 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 we saw that. You know, then they pulled the troops and the protections disappeared, and there was a peace. Uh, you know, a, the country was reconstructed on on both north and south. Neither one protecting black rights. Right. Um, and so we see these. You know, we see these moments that are happening, and the. The question now for all of us is like how many other how many white folks are on the side of 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 making uh, of of justice and and of uh, of social justice and I don't think that that's clear like I don't think I don't think I don't know how many I don't know where we're at I mean I think 2016 and the election of Trump was a real was frightening. It was an eye opener. Um, but you know, we could all say, "Oh, people didn't recognize who Trump was in 2016." Well, 2020, he almost won again, <laughs> right? I mean, it was quite close. And uh, and I don't know. I don't know what we're going to be in 2024. I don't know who. I don't know who we are as a country. And I think that's the that's the frightening thing, and that's the crossroads we're at. Well, is trying I, to think is is we're all going to learn. I'll say this in our last like ninety seconds. I think one of the things that you and and our other guests witnessed is that. We do know who we are. And the problem is, how do we fix it? Um, Thank you so much for joining us. And we will talk to you again, hopefully very soon. Thank you, Terry. Yep. Wow. Oh, my stars. We learned some stuff. I feel like I had a little... uh a little I was in class today I learned a lot about the about as a theater as theater people I have a better feeling of the of the vibe my mouth is agape my mouth is agape I don't even know because I I thought I understood but um this piece about the police just oh, right, ties right. things that because that's when the the, the the delusion hit reality yes they thought. They thought the blue that, was going to turn that, and go with them. They blue was white. Blue equaled all of these things yeah. because that's what our police system was founded on and for to protect wow. white men and their property. Well, so I'd love to find out what <laughs> Cat Williams has to say about the insurrection. <laughs> Maybe we can have him on the show. But oh. next week we're going to have Pugs Adams. Yes, the artist and amazing artist. Artist. Music. Visual art. He does quilts. <laughs> oh, quilts. Oh, yeah. Hey. Quilting. Clapper Action Radio. Thank you for joining Thank us. Thank you. Uh, the insurrection of January 6, 2021. Don't forget about it, people, because it happened. And we, 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 we must remember and know our history so we don't repeat it. Go check out Oak Colonizers on our YouTube channel, and you can see uh, Carla's take. It's all about today. 
See you later, alligators. We got snow in Chicago, so oh, things are... Oh, finally. Yes. A little bit of snow.